Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org. Welcome to Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Joe Wren, filling in for Bob Zaltzberg, along with my colleague, Barbara Brozier. Hi, Barbara. How are you Hi. doing? Hi. Good. Happy to be here. Well, in 2018, college football saw its largest second game day attendance decrease ever. Since 2008, student attendance at games has decreased around 10%. Now, to counteract this, many universities have started to sell alcohol at their stadiums. Now, this fall... IU will become the sixth Big Ten school to start selling alcohol at football games as part of a pilot program. And joining us this week on Noon Edition, we will discuss the alcohol sales at IU's football games this fall. Joining us, guests, we have Scott Dolson, Deputy Director of Athletics at Indiana University. Scott, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And then later on at 12.30, we'll have uh, Tom Schott. He'll join us via phone. He's the Senior Associate Athletic Director at Purdue University. Also here in the studio, Mallory DeSalle, Prevention Insights at IU Bloomington School of Public Health. Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. And Galen Clavio. Now, I thought you were on vacation and you were going to call in, but you're here in the studio. So I hope something didn't go terribly wrong. No, we, you know, we, uh, we were going to make a trip and then the trip got canceled. Oh, I'm sorry. I, it's great because I get to see you in person. Oh, so what's always, better, right? Vacation really, or noon make, Makes the weekend. Well, Bob Zaltzberg is on vacation, so. Here we are. Yeah, he right. took Here my vacation. Yeah. So, no. <laughs> uh, Galen's the, the associate professor, director of National Sports Journalism Center. Uh, Scott, I just thought we'd start with you just to sure. maybe get a little bit of a background and think about. So when did IU start kind of looking into bringing alcohol sales into IU football games? Yeah, I'd say we, we've been talking about it for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I really consciously remember thinking this might be something we want to pursue is when we were playing Wake Forest in a home and home and they came to our place and I met their deputy athletic director and they had just implemented beer sales and we just had a terrific conversation and it was different than I thought in terms of it was such a positive experience overall and particularly I I didn't until that point realize the number of alcohol incidents really do. The data does show that it does go down if you control it. And at that point, and I would say it would have to be five or six years ago, we started a conversation to say, what, what's this look like? And it's starting to grow around the country. And uh, subsequently, we just took our time. We didn't want to be the earliest person or, or school to put their toe in the water. But, but over time, we really realized this is something that could really help overall our fan experience and also help the control the safety and security in terms of alcohol incidents. Uh, Mallory, I'm hoping you can jump in here. Um, you talked about the alcohol being a factor in alcohol incidents. How big a, a part of game day is alcohol, not just on IU's campus, <laughs> but uh, with sports and athletics in general? I would say that a lot of people, depending on your perspective, see alcohol use in a different way at college campuses. I know that when you talk about game day, you talk about the pregame and then the game. And we do see that on college game days, the use of alcohol increases as compared to an average Saturday in a college town. So alcohol use does increase according to research and literature. So the question I kind of have too along with that would be, IU is known as a dry campus, so mm-hmm. how does alcohol become part of university functions? Well, it looks a little bit different on campus in terms of IU's policies. Mm-hmm. So they do have some policies that allow them to serve, as, serve it to adults of age and certain circumstances. 
athletics is an area where IU hasn't dipped their toe in that water yet, but it seems that there currently there's a group of people that are establishing whether or not that's a good idea, and they've decided they're going to run a pilot program to do that. And what I've seen from what I've read so far about IU's decision is that they're trying to do it intentionally and put some things in place, which is great because from the public health perspective, we really want to look at what we already know and what kind of things we can put in place to help make it the safe as possible. Galen, I know attendance is also something that's been talked about as a factor here. Uh, how much do you think, uh, we heard a statistic, but how much has attendance kind of declined, not just here at IU, but across the country when it comes to college athletics? Pretty considerably, and particularly among younger populations, student populations, young alumni, because they're, they have not grown up in an era where you had to go to a venue to watch a sporting event and, and get a, a great experience. You could sit at home and watch on a big screen TV. You could have all the comforts of home surrounding you. And, you know, what we've got in this country country, in particular on college campuses, is these huge venues with you know tens of thousands of seats. I use actually probably in better shape than most because instead of a 110,000 seat football stadium, you've got a 55,000 seat football stadium. But even with that, you're talking about proportion. And so, uh, you know, it is a problem in terms of how do you take a game day experience that for a long time was pretty Spartan. It was just like you go to the game and there's the game and that's it. How do you take that and try to give people some of the comforts that they would normally have at home where they are most likely to be watching these sporting events? Scott, are there any numbers or have you heard from other college campuses about how this has impacted attendance specifically? More in terms of fans wanting to stay in the stands than necessarily increasing ticket sales. So it'll be interesting to see. We're not going to disallow passouts. And that's one of the big questions we have received when we announce this is that mean that you're not going to allow passouts at games. And we are one of the few schools. There are other schools that, that, that also don't do allow passouts. We're one of the few schools that, that does. And it'll be interesting to see how many people stay in the stands and maybe don't go out at halftime, although we'll still allow them to because we do have uh, beer and wine available in the stadium. And explain what a pass out is, because when we're talking about right, alcohol and right. people, if they aren't familiar <laughs> with it, maybe it's say you're point. allowing pass outs. So just explain what that is. Great point. What pass out means is once you enter the stadium at most schools, you cannot leave the stadium. If you do, you, there's no re-entry. We allow re-entry. So you can leave. You receive a uh, your ticket is scanned out, and then you're allowed to come back in the game. So at halftime, for those of you and all of us who have been at IU games here, those of the people listening have been to games, we do have lots of people who like to go out in the parking lot, reinvigorate their tailgate, hopefully come back in. We believe by serving, serving alcohol in the stadium, hopefully we'll encourage some people to stay in the stadium. Let me go ahead and give the phone number and Twitter for those listening that like to call and be part of this conversation, uh, 812-855-0811. If you're outside of Bloomington, we're toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can tweet us at Noon Edition. Our email is news at indianapublicmedia.org. And maybe just a little clarification, Scott, too, in terms of there is some alcohol already being served at men's basketball and football, but in certain areas. Is that Correct. right? In our premium seating areas, which are, are confined, we do allow currently beer and wine sales. We have for several years now. And that was another factor that sort of, as we slowly integrated into serving alcohol, how did that go? How did we, we really wanted to get a feel for that. And that really went really well and felt like that was a good way for us to get our, 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 our feet wet in this. And in this expansion, we think will just allow us to make certain that other people in the stadium can enjoy the same benefits that, that we have in our premium areas as well. You hired a, a firm to do a study as part of looking into this process. Mm -hmm. What did they find other campuses saw? You mentioned the alcohol incidents being a huge motivator here. What did that study find in terms of what they saw? They definitely found that, that alcohol-related incidents did did. Did decrease, and particularly, you know, one of the things that really jumped out at me was at Ohio State. I believe the year after they implemented beer and wine sales, their alcohol incidents were reduced by 65 percent, which was it wasn't just a small number. That's a, that's an alarming number, and it was really helpful because they just felt that uh, the more you could control it, the more you could make certain that you provide alcohol in a controlled environment, that it, it helps the overall experience, and it really does bring down those those incidents. You're really focused on it. And, and they really also at the same time felt like the overall fan experience was really improved at all the places that did it. And they, and they recommended that 
We try it in football. We start as a pilot program, but really work closely to make certain we look at the best practices around the country and how we can make certain we're doing it the right way. Mallory, I'm hoping you could jump in here. I see you kind of nodding your head. What do you think about about this approach? Well, I think looking at the research is a really important thing to do. And Scott's absolutely right. Ohio State had a very unique experience with adding beer sales to the football, where they did have a significant decrease of alcohol-related incidents on campus. In the research review that I did, I actually saw inconsistent data that said that there were, in some cases, no changes at all to the alcohol incidents on campuses, and in other cases, increases. So I'm not sure that there is definitive data that supports one thing certainly will occur from beer sales. We do see a consistent rise in attendance and maintenance of participants, which is one of the aims, and that's something to really think about. But I'm not sure that we could conclude with Definity what is going to occur in terms of alcohol-related incidents. One important thing to think about when we look at data as well is who's collecting it and who is it about. Is it about the college students? Is it about the public consumers that are non-students? And I'm not sure that most of the data out there has really differentiated who we're talking about. Are we talking about students or alumni? And those are two different things for the university to think about. Who are we trying to provide safety for the most? I'm wondering if either or both of you could just clarify what we mean by alcohol incidents, because it is such a broad sure. term. Sure. Is that okay? Um, what What I think about in terms of alcohol-related incidents are incidents where either a, a health responder needs to respond, a student is acting outside of the expectations for a student, like using lewd language or not following student conduct expectations or if the police have to be requested on site. Those types of things are statistically tracked on campus for students and even things that occur off campus for IU students are reported to the campus both in Bloomington and in the county and in some cases all across the state and country. But doesn't something like this too and Galen feel free to jump in um selling alcohol, sports, alcohol. I mean, a lot when this came out, although I know there are statistics to, to, to prove that it does help, but a lot of people think, oh boy, here they go. You know, <laughs> let's bring more alcohol to the game. Uh, we, and we hear throughout the year, you know, fraternities, sororities being shut down sure. or a lot of alcohol problems. And this to some may think this is contributing to the problem. There's two different viewpoints when it comes to this. One is sort of harm reduction, and the other is, like you're saying, the underlying message of support of consumption. You can really look at what the literature says about both of those to kind of further de the decision. Um, in one hand, yes, you are allowing alcohol to be consumed, but when it is consumed in a way that's sanctioned, you are controlling for underage drinking, which is a protective uh, solution. On the other hand, you're providing alcohol in a location where 70% of the students are underage. So you're kind of normalizing the acceptance of consumption. That's a risk factor to consider. Again, we don't know the correlation in terms of what will occur. It's sort of each mm -hmm. community reacts differently. And so that's why this is a pilot program and not a definitive plan. That's my guess anyway, yeah. Scott. And one of the things I, I might add that we found, and it was really helpful in talking to other schools that have, have already been involved with this, is that the students are certainly the ones that will be over 21 or will be uh, available to, they could purchase the, the beer or wine. However, we found that it's really not a big student-driven, they're not the biggest consumer. That's right. Price probably does impact that. Uh, it, it, the, the price of beer in the stadium. We're going to try to keep it as effective as we can or as economical as we can. We're not in this, in, and they, we said this in the, in the initial release, this isn't a windfall for us. It really wasn't a financial-driven decision, although there have been some calls I received. Overall, the support has been really positive, but some people who have called and questioned it said, how can you make this just based on money? And the decision basically was not made on money at all. It really wasn't. It sounds funny to say that, but that's true. And as, as we've talked to other schools, the student involvement has not been as heavy as they even thought. Yeah. And I, I agree with that because mm -hmm. some of the research says that students actually have a lower desire to have it served on campus. Right. Right. And so that's not really an influencing factor. Men on campus reported a lower percentage of desire to be sold 
alcohol on campus than women, um, but it's even under 20% of students that were surveyed in a particular citation. So Mm -hmm. that's not really a student factor. And I think it's important to keep in mind that in any place where it isn't already happening, there's a bit of a paranoia about what's going to take place. But I've been to other campuses and other stadiums. I went to Minnesota for the IU game this year. I've been to Purdue. I've been to stadiums in the Big 12. And it just doesn't feel like any different sort of an experience than than what we've had here with, with a stadium that isn't selling alcohol. And I think that, you know, to some degree, this is representative of a larger cultural shift where we're going from a prohibition mindset on on a bunch of different things, whether it's alcohol sales on campus or whether it's marijuana availability uh, from a recreational perspective in in certain states. And uh, I think we're moderating from a societal perspective what we're willing to deal with and, and how it affects what's going on out there. And so I'm not really too concerned about it from that perspective. I understand how some people might be, but when you travel around the country, and you experience other places, you realize you know, it's not like it's not you know dogs and cats living together in, in mass hysteria where they're selling alcohol at stadiums. Right, it's a really good point because the culture isn't always dictated by alcohol sales or not. I grew up in the state of Nebraska, and to go to a Nebraska Huskers game. Um, by the way, I am go Big Red, all Big Red. <laughs> I do have season tickets to IU football, and uh, we go every time. So Nebraska doesn't serve alcohol, and you cannot leave your seat, and you stand that entire game. Season tickets are held for hundreds of years and families because they won't give them up. So what I'm hearing Scott talk about is what you want for those season ticket holders is an experience where you have that kind of Correct. love for the game and presence. Yeah, definitely, Mallory. The, our, our goal is we want to create a better experience so people want to stay in the stadium. They don't feel like they have to run out to their car to get a drink at halftime. And we hope that overall creates a, a better feel for the whole program. And I think the overall attitudes especially with beer and wine, it's become less of a mass-produced commodity that is made by faceless people living in St. Louis and Milwaukee, and, and there's a lot more of a local component to it. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, the mm-hmm. local craft beer uh, establishments are some of the most popular places in Bloomington to, to go eat and to, to go socialize, and most of those have popped up in the last six or seven years. Uh, you know, Oliver Winery has been incredibly successful. Butler as well. I mean, we've seen a lot of different places where, yes, there's alcohol, but it's part of the social experience as opposed to being the the primary reason necessarily for going. And I right. think that that's how it might fit in with, with athletics here. And that actually really talks a lot to how successful alcohol use is in terms of the time of day and participation on campus. So mm-hmm. we actually see fewer alcohol-related incidents for the noon games mm-hmm. because there's less time for the process right. that you're describing, right? And the evening games tend to have a lot more alcohol-related incidents, and sometimes those happen outside of the game but within the context of that. And that's because there's a longer time for the pre-game experience. So these are all things that the campus has to kind of think about when they're thinking about when and where and how does this connect with the culture we want to have with athletics on campus. And I think there are some restrictions, too, that I read Correct. about, maybe two per purchase, Correct. two alcohol purchases at a time, and there may be some others. Correct. We're going to end the sales. At the the sales will, will will cease to exist at the end of the third quarter. So we're doing that. And we're working with, we've, we've hired an additional consultant who is actually an expert on, around the country in setting up the actual sales. Now that we've decided to, to sell beer and wine, we've got someone helping us put all the policies and procedures together to make it happen. In fact, I had a good conversation with Mallory before we started. We may use her expertise in a few things as well, but we just wanted to make certain we really thought this out. This is really a big, big decision. We want to do it right. This consultant's going to come in, and we're going to establish additional policies and procedures based on other schools, best practices, to make certain we are taking everything into account, like the two-drink minimum purchase or maximum purchase when you come up. And I imagine part of that process or the training that goes on will involve standard things like being able to identify someone who is intoxicated already. Correct. Correct. Yeah. What we'll do is we've got an RFP out right now for the vendor to be selected that will actually hire the the staff that will will sell the the products that will actually uh, put together the the overall plan, which we will work with our consultant on to make certain we agree with everything and we'll establish the policies and procedures. But they will train the staff and and so so forth to make certain they're doing everything according to Hoyle. It's 
So the RFP mm-hmm. is requesting people to submit proposals. Proposals, and vendors, and correct. Things of that nature. So we won't be hiring the staff that sells the actual beer. We'll have an outside vendor that comes in that actually does that type of business, and they have the alcohol license, and we're working with our general counsel's office. We're working with Dave O'Gwen. I think you, you read about that in terms of the dean of students, and then also with Ben Hunter over university safety and security to make certain everything is set up right, but the outside vendor will actually handle the sales. And are they the ones, the outside vendors doing the suites right now? Correct, correct, yeah. So, and is that process still open that will be for this included. coming fall? Yes, that, the, the vendor will select. still in the early process of getting all this together. Correct, yeah. correct. The, we actually just issued the RFP, the request for proposal, last Friday. And so those are due in the next couple of weeks, and then we hope to have someone selected, hopefully by mid-June. is the number to call. Uh, Kathy did uh, call and just wanted to leave a quick note. She says the ticket sales are what's too expensive for her. It's not the alcohol sales. So there there are many different items. That's a great point. We could have another show on that, but we will be introducing. I don't want to to preview something uh, too soon here, but in the next couple weeks we will be previewing. We've we've made some changes in our single-game ticket prices that I think are going to be very newsworthy that, that we've listened and we've got a plan that I think people will like. Making some additional news on today. <laughs> we'll be looking out for Hot that. The press. But the best deal is still the season ticket. But we've got yes. some additional uh, opportunities to purchase for single games as well that people are going to like. Well, and this is all a pilot program, too, as you said. Mm-hmm. So during this first year, we'll be learning a lot because, right. as I think, Mallory, you mentioned, or maybe someone before, you know, maybe an $8 beer may, may still not be a enough to keep people in the stands too. No question about it. Yeah, and actually increasing pricing is an evidence-based strategy to reduce use. They've seen that statistically change tobacco use, and so it likely also influences alcohol consumption as well. So you'd look at the price point as one of the factors Mm -hmm. that would be examined. You'd also look at the location of the sales and how frequently individuals are visiting. And you might even look at some of the statistics based on who is buying Mm -hmm. the purchases based on seat sales and seat locations. Those are all different things that could be potential practices that could be examined to look for efficacy and safety. And you have the statistics now to be able to compare to what happens after football games to see exactly what the impact was of these sales. Absolutely. You're going to want to do some comparison for sure. All right. I think we're going to take a break right now. We're halfway through the program. We still have time to call. And that number is 877-285-9348. We're talking about alcohol sales at IU home football games this fall. We'll be back with Noon Edition right here on WFIU. From the Milton Met studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live, and you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe now at WFIUNews.org. And we're back here on Noon Edition on WFIU. I'm Joe Wren, filling in for Bob Zaltzberg. My colleague Barbara Brozier is with us, too. And we have Scott Dolson, Deputy Director of Athletics at Indiana University. Hopefully soon. I don't know if we have him on yet. We do. Tom Schott is Senior Associate Athletic Director at Purdue University. Are you there? I'm here. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. We'll get to you in just a second. And Mallory DeSalle, Prevention Insights at IU Bloomington School of Public Health. And Galen Clavio, Associate Professor, Director of National Sports uh, Journalism Center. Tom, thanks so much for uh, joining us in the second half of this program. I want to jump right in and ask you, just uh, as someone from a university that's had alcohol sales in place at at games, um, what have you noticed since putting that into effect? 
I think the two things that stand out are one, uh, our fans have enjoy it. You know, certainly in this day and age when uh, we're all competing uh, for entertainment uh, uh, time and dollars, uh, the, the more amenities you can offer, uh, the better off you are. And, and our fans have uh, enjoyed the option of, of having a, a, a cold beer or a glass of wine uh, at, at our games. Uh, but also they've handled it uh, better than we probably even could have imagined. Uh, we knew Purdue fans were smart and wouldn't uh, abuse a privilege or an opportunity, but uh, our public safety folks would tell you that we've had fewer incidents since we went to the expanded sale. I think that's just a tribute to uh, our fans and, and then not uh, abusing the opportunity, and uh, it's been a win-win for everyone. I, I want to ask you about that, that reduction in incidents. Can you give us some idea of how big of a change this, this made at Purdue? Um, you know, we have not uh, traditionally had a lot of those. Uh, I can't give you a percentage, but, uh, um, you know, again, the folks that are trained uh, uh, to sell beer and wine you know, are professionals, and they know what to look for if, if they think someone's on the verge of being overserved and, and certainly uh, prevent that from happening. Um, in conjunction with the expanded sales, we eliminated pass-outs. We were one of the last schools in the Big Ten that uh, had allowed fans to leave and re-enter the stadium. We don't allow that anymore. But that would be unfair to um, have the folks that are the trained professionals judge what what uh, customers might do when they leave the leave the venue and come back. So I think that has a, has played a part in it as well. Um, but if you step back, I mean, fans are still going to watch a football game or a basketball game. Uh, so uh, and they're investing their time, their money to do so. So why they would want to uh, waste that, so to speak, and and, and possibly drink uh, more than they should uh, seems counterproductive. So we didn't anticipate there being issues, but again, I think we were surprised uh, a little bit that there weren't um, the chance of having uh, more issues come up, but uh, but it hasn't happened. It's, it's been great. Uh, one thing I do um, want to ask about, and Scott, you may want to jump in mm-hmm. uh, after Tom, is one thing that um, we've heard or question we've heard is what about underage people who are going to be at the game with people of age, um, and how do you prevent someone from just buying a beer for their friend who is there? That's something that I imagine can be hard to monitor. Yeah, that's a challenge, and that's a challenge, you know, wherever you go, certainly. Um, again, we've got, uh, you know, people that are, are trained at, at how to handle alcohol sales, and, and they do the best they can, and you know, again, I think you have to look at uh, uh, why people come to these events and they're coming to watch football or basketball, and and you know, this is not uh, this is not a bar uh, or something like that. So, um, sure, it's a challenge, uh, but there's a lot of challenges in game management. Uh, but again, we just haven't seen any issues. Um, uh, certainly, uh, there's not been a, a call to you know reduce what we're doing or change what we're doing, and. Uh, we just felt the time was right. Uh, you know, we experimented uh, in our south end zone area a couple years ago back in, in 2015, um, had success there, and, and just felt that a couple years ago the time was right to, to try it. Uh, the fans liked it, uh, handled it well, and uh, um, it's been a, good, it's been a good, good situation all the way around. I'd say from our end, let me, let me just first of all say that, that Purdue has been incredibly helpful to us, and we're rivals on the field, but uh, Mike Bobinski, their athletic director, Jason Budokoffer, their deputy AD, we've talked to them at length. Tom, I have not had an opportunity to meet you, but I'm sure you've provided some of the information that that, that Mike and, and Jason has provided us, and we really appreciate it. You guys have been terrific. Uh, regarding how do you make certain someone doesn't buy two and pass it along to maybe a friend that's not 21, our early plan is most likely we're going to have a wristbanding situation that it, to, in order to purchase the alcohol, you have to wear a wristband that you show your ID to obtain. So if it'd be evident, it'd be quite evident just visibly if someone is drinking and doesn't have a wristband on, then they, either they somehow, they could have been over 21, but we would be able to check them to make certain they were if they didn't appear to be 21. Does that mean that there's going to have to be um, an increase in law enforcement or just someone there to enforce some of these new challenges that come along with introducing alcohol? There's no question that our staffing will be increased overall, just in terms of the sales, of course, but also just the enforcement as well. And and it really helps us that we're working so closely with Ben Hunter on campus, who's fantastic, and he oversees all 
of our uh, health and safety and security, and he's really doing a terrific job. And uh, we'll see. I'm not sure how much we'll increase it, but we'll certainly will increase with the addition. Tom, I wanted to ask you, I had two questions about the alcohol sales on certain groups. This came up in the first half of the show. Did you see a, an increase in more of your season ticket holders or more of single ticket students? And then my second part to that would be, did this was this really a big revenue maker for the school? Uh, answer the second one first. Uh, yeah, we saw tremendous uh, uh, sales the first year. Of course, we had nothing to compare it with, but uh, we were over over half a million dollars in, in gross sales uh, uh, in beer and, and such at the football games the first year, and that increased over a million uh, last year. So certainly, um, it's another revenue stream. And as, as Scott knows, uh, uh, in this day and age, uh, especially in smaller stadiums like the two of us have. Uh, we need dollars to support all our athletics programs. We're self, self-sufficient, uh, take no money from the university or, or the state. So uh, everything we raise uh, um, is what we get. So that was uh, a part of it. That was certainly not the driving factor. We had no idea what the response would be initially. Uh, again, we've seen uh, some success with this uh, in the south end zone, which is kind of an open-air patio uh, area for those folks that aren't familiar with Ross State Stadium. But uh, um, you know, the, the increased revenue has, has has been nice and, and certainly uh, very much needed. And then in terms of the groups, is, is it hard to tell what type of people are actually buying the alcohol? Yeah, I don't think we have a clear-cut uh, delineation of, of who's who's doing it. Uh, um, our South End Zone patio was restricted to season ticket holders and still is. Um, so those folks have had us uh, you know, for a couple more years than, than the general public. But uh, as far as a breakdown, uh, more specific than that, uh, I really couldn't give it to you. 877-285-9348 is the number to call. You can join us here on Noon Edition, or you can tweet us at Noon Edition. Scott, I want to ask you, because this idea of revenue came up, mm-hmm. um, what is IU going to be doing with this increased revenue from the sales? The the majority of the revenue will just go to our overall athletic department budget, just like Tom said, that we're self, self-operating, self and, and we need that just to, to continue to maintain the programs we do. We, we have uh, enunciated that 10% of it will go to student to help with the student alcohol awareness program, and we'll work with David Gwynn and the dean of students' office to distribute that. So we'll certainly feel good about that, and hopefully we'll be sending a good amount of money over to that program and working with Dave and on campus. Mallory, I see you shaking your head at, at uh, that announcement. So what do you think about this commitment from IU to use some of the money for those programs? It's consistent with practices and other prevention programming. For instance, sales of tobacco nationally, 10% goes, or or a certain percentage in each state goes for the treatment and prevention services. And working collaboratively with the health department and with the student health services and CAPS and OASIS, they already are working really hard for prevention services, and I know that they're planning some strategic events to try and figure out the next best plans. Galen, I want to go back to you because you mentioned being at other schools where um, alcohol is already served. Do you think that um, this could make a huge difference in attendance, or do you think it's just a trend that's going to continue? I think it could stabilize. I don't think you're going to get a tremendous increase in attendance. But as as Scott said, I think it has the potential to keep people in the stadium. And I think it also has the potential to reduce pregame drinking, as Mallory said, because, you you know, from just from my interactions with people in the tailgate lots and so forth, if you know, okay, I'm not going to be able to have a beer for three hours, you might have an extra one before you go into the stadium. Um, and I think if, if you're not in a rush... Uh, and you know that you can kind of take it easy and just have a good time and not have to to worry about that, maybe it ends up uh, keeping you in there longer. And so, look, I think there's there's bigger overall issues with sports attendance right now, and it's mostly because so much of sports is designed for the television audience because mm-hmm. that's where the, I think the majority of money with a lot of, of sports entities are coming from now. I mean, you look at the, you know, you still obviously make a lot of money off of in-person attendance, but you look at the money from the Big Ten Network every year and from the television contracts, and it becomes a huge, a bigger and bigger part of, of every school's athletic budget. And I think especially at smaller uh, venued schools, you, you I mean, you're, you're not getting the, I mean, I think Ohio State's average 
football tickets like $230 per ticket, and they have 108,000 seats. I mean, that, you do the math on that, that's pretty pretty considerable. So, uh, you know, I think from the standpoint of is it going to suddenly get this rush of people back into the stadium? No. Winning will do that, and, and like consistently top-level product will do that, uh, regardless whether you're talking about football or basketball. But for the people that are going, maybe it makes it a more enjoyable uh, event, and maybe it makes it an event where you know you're not in a rush to leave. You're like, okay, well, we can take our time and be here for the whole three hours. And that pass out process will look different too, because mm-hmm. historically yeah. speaking, as a season ticket holder, I see things happening when people leave at halftime and then come back. But season ticket holders could stay potentially. Uh, one thing I will also say, and I know we're, this pilot program right now, it's starting with football. I think it could really benefit some of the other sports if, if it ends up getting expanded. I'm not even necessarily talking about basketball, but I'm talking mm-hmm. about baseball, for instance. I mean, we have such a beautiful venue here at IU to go watch a baseball game. And, you know, having a beer at the ballpark watching a baseball game, those those two things feel intrinsically linked. Uh, soccer, same thing. You know, I mean, you look at, at, uh, at soccer stadiums across the world, and it's, again, kind of part of the overall fan experience. So if you ever saw it get to that point, I think that it might help the overall social experience that fans had when they went to those venues as well. Galen, that's a great point. And, that, and then the baseball example is one, as we've talked to other schools around the country, and I think I think Tom could probably chime in, I think Purdue does sell at baseball as well, that it really has been very well received and, and controlled and just creates a better fan experience, which is really what we all want. Tom, do you want to chime in and explain where all what all venues Purdue does sell at during sporting events and um, how that came about after starting with football? Yeah, in addition to football and, and men's and basketball, uh, as Scott said, that we do it baseball uh, and also softball and soccer. So, again, it goes back to what Galen said. It's just it's just adding another option and another amenity uh, for the fan experience. Again, we're not uh, we're not hawking the beer in the stands. It's, it's certainly available if, if someone wants to, to purchase it. Uh, just as was mentioned, with, with you know, we're competing with television. And, and people staying home and, and watching our, watching our events on on TV, and if you can provide one other amenity that, that might entice them to go, uh, then I think it's a it's a worthwhile decision to make. Uh, and again, we've just been so fortunate and thankful that uh, there haven't been incidents. And uh, um, again, people seem to enjoy it and not abuse it. So uh, we feel very good about the decision we've made. Tom, I was curious if the increased alcohol sales at the stadium had any effect on tailgating or the tailgating scene at Purdue? I don't think so. I mean, you know, tailgating is such a kind of personalized and everyone has their tradition on, on you know, what they make and what they bring. And and, and uh, I think, as someone mentioned, uh, uh, you know, the bottom line in all of this is, is winning. <laughs> and uh, um, we have better tailgating crowds when the team's doing well. Uh, that's there's no, uh, that's pretty common sense there. But uh, um, I think the point about um, you know, pregame drinking, you know, maybe curtailed. You know, there's no way of judging that. Uh, but uh, knowing that you have an option if you want to have a beer in the stadium midway through the first half or at halftime or, or before we cut off sale at the end of the third quarter um, is valid. But uh, um, you know, right now we're so fortunate uh, under Coach Brom that. that People are as excited about Purdue football as they've been uh, since the days of Joe Tiller back in the in the late 2000s. Uh, um, people are here early and they stay late, uh, uh, and and we just feel really good about the whole direction of the football program right now. And Mallory, you're kind of nodding your head in terms of the the tailgating question part of that, and I, I noticed you had some expressions too when Galen was talking about that. Tell us what what your studies or what what have you shown? Well, what I've been able to ascertain from the literature is there's a couple... First of all, this is a very complicated issue. It's not just alcohol that released all of these citations. When we were talking about other sports, we've seen the same change in attendance and when there are really competitive teams, the Purdue-IU game, because we always play hard on the field together, you're going to have more alcohol consumed. That's what the literature shows. Anytime there's a highly competitive event, alcohol use increases. But I would suggest that the 
that adults that are consuming in the stadium, that may be more standard compared to the the tailgates outside because we're really measuring only the statistics of the student incidents in those cases. So that's where you're having increased alcohol consumption for these competitions. But we would want to look at that in all the athletic events. We wouldn't want to just compare football because basketball here is a different game. Uh, I love going to IU baseball, but that's a different environment. So you really have to use the data to draw some conclusions. I do think it's interesting if you think about the the, the sociology of student drinking yes. before football games on campus here. A lot of the people that are doing the heaviest consumption from the student perspective aren't even coming into exactly. the stadium. In. Right. Uh, and, right. And so that that is something to keep in mind with yes. this, where there's not necessarily going to be a one-to-one increase uh, because you're selling alcohol in the stadium, because it's a, almost a different group of people that you're serving at that point. Exactly. It's a different target. So there's, there's multiple issues here. It's how can we re- increase everyone's safety on campus? How can we actually really improve the experience from the participant and as a consumer of sports I don't want to see intoxicated people anywhere so we want to look at it from many different lenses not just the sales perspective Scott I do want to ask now that we've talked about other venues I think mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people are wondering how quickly if we deem this successful could we see this this pilot program expanded that's a great question we really haven't put a timetable on it and said, let's see how it goes this year, and then next year we would expand it. It it really just depends. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. Assembly Hall is a little different in Simon Scott Assembly Hall, and I'm not sure in talking with Fred if that's something that that it's a a shorter time period. It's really close to the floor. It's different. We're just not sure on that. Uh, We'll see. But but we certainly are open to looking at it. It is a pilot program, as we said, and just we haven't put a timetable. I wouldn't say it would be really quickly. Can you explain how the success of the program or who will be evaluating and suggesting changes? Yeah, the task force that we formed will really be helpful because it's a good mix. It's with the dean of students, Dave O'Gwen. It's with Ben Hunter, uh, who's who's over our safety securities. I alluded to earlier. Uh, certainly, uh, James Nussbaum, who's in our general counsel's office, and then Stephen Harper, who's been a key person on our senior staff, and then of course Fred and I will work on really evaluating it, looking at the numbers, and then one of the things that Fred has done is, among other things, that has been really, really good for us is really integrating us with the the entire university and also just listening. So anecdotal feedback and just talking and just learning. I didn't know Mallory till this program. I think Mallory can be really helpful to us as well, and we don't make quick decisions. We really like to think things through, and and uh, I see this being the same case. Mallory, I'm curious what you're going to be looking out for as this program goes forward. I'm really looking at all the safety factors that are added, location, price point, frequency, looking at the data before and after in terms of incidents. I like to hear that they're only serving maximum of two drinks because we really, from the public health perspective, look at daily use and weekly use in terms of risk. And an individual, according to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, NIAAA is the acronym, suggests that uh, for low-risk drinking, women consume no more than one every day, one alcohol standard size, or no more than three on any given day. For men, it's two drinks a day, no more than four on any given day. And so these are types of things that we would want the university to keep in mind. We don't want to overserve just out of policy. So they're already thinking about low-risk consumption, which is one of the things we'd want to watch. I might add one more yeah, quick yeah. thing is I think that what's really, really important is nobody likes to be around someone who's intoxicated, obnoxious, and disrupting other fans at games. And that's one of the things that historically we've always focused on. And regardless of whether we're serving it or they're consuming prior to coming in the stadium, we'll continue to monitor that and do the best job we can possible to make certain that someone isn't impacting other someone else's experience in a negative way. And honestly, I've been a professor to some of the student athletes, and they want the, the student that are the audience, they also want the, the fans to have a good time and to stay. And I think they get the most discouraged and don't do as well performing when the whole audience leaves. Tom, did you want to jump in there? Sorry, I um, thought maybe I heard you wanted to say something. No. Um, again, we have the, we have the two uh, limit uh, as well. And, and I, 
again, there's a dollars and cents from the consumer standpoint too. I mean, if someone wants to um, over be overserved, they could certainly do it a lot more economically on their own than, than coming into the stadium. So I think it's just a good marriage of, of you can still have your tailgate and do that stuff uh, pregame, but if you want to uh, you know, have have a beer during the game, that option's available to you. And, and couldn't agree more. No no one wants us to turn into a a bunch of people who've been overserved. And, and again, it goes back to the the, the core reason for going is to watch uh, the student athletes uh, perform and, and see an exciting football game, um, not not go to a bar. So I, I just think all the synergy matches up, and, and you know, I think IU will do just just fine with it, uh, um, like they've done. You know, we did extensive research and, and looked into it, and we have more meetings and recaps after games. And I'm sure Scott and his team do down there, and. Uh, um, it just has not proven to be anything but a positive uh, experience for us. We just have a few minutes left. If you'd like to tweet us, we're at Noon Edition, or you can email us at news at indianapublicmedia.org. We'll try to go ahead and get your question in. There was one thing I saw or I heard with Tom and Scott, and that was both talking about your budgets. And I thought that was kind of interesting, mm-hmm. too, that – and well, Galen, you've met – I mean, I guess everybody's talked about that, the, the TV revenue. Uh, things are always changing, although from the outside, most people think that – IU Athletics, Purdue Athletics must be rolling in the money. Why do they need more money? Now, you said earlier this wasn't a, a money-type situation, but how is athletics constantly trying to, what's the term, balance the budget? It's a, it's a great point. It's a challenge for everybody, just like Tom said at Purdue. And, and, and there are certain aspects of our budget, like the TV revenue, that is certainly critical, but it's sort of out of our control to some extent. It's the Big Ten Conference, which is great. But selling tickets, uh, providing a great opportunity to, for people that want to come to games is a, is a huge driver for us. Uh, f- fundraising comes out of a lot of people coming to your games. And so uh, beer sales, like at Purdue, I think ultimately beer and wine will help add to the, the bottom line, but not in a way that will really, really impact our budget in a major, major way. I do think it's important for people to realize, like a lot of fans of college athletics like to imagine that there's no money in college athletics and then they get mad when the teams that they support aren't competitive well the competitiveness that you get in college athletics largely comes from revenue uh, it's 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 a business i mean there's, there's there's it's certainly you have you have the academic mission of the university and so forth but there is a lot of keeping up with the joneses and i think that you know particularly for athletic departments that aren't just absolutely rolling in dough and that's the the Ohio states and the you know some of the the schools like that you got to figure out ways to maximize your revenue potential by doing things that other sports venues across the country are doing already you know i mean it's it's not like the pacers don't sell alcohol in their venue or the colts don't sell alcohol in their venue things like that I think just from a logical perspective, any college athletics department worth their salt is going to have to strongly consider doing that, and I don't think there's any problem with them doing that. Scott, I am curious. We Oh, go ahead, Tom. Just It's important to remember, as, as, as sometimes it gets lost, is you know, football, men's basketball are the, the financial drivers of all our other sports programs that, that don't bring in the revenue. And, again, money that we make at football and, and men, men's basketball games, in addition to the TV money that's been talked about, is, is to provide – Know, scholarships and coaching salaries for all other sports and travel and, and apparel and all that sort of stuff. So you're talking about, you know, you have two sports to, to fund, uh, in our case, 20, and OIU's got a few more than that. Uh, uh, and you got to find a way to, to pay for all those sports uh, with the two, uh, the two big uh, financial ones. I know we heard from Tom about uh, about how much money they were able to generate from these sales. Scott, did that that study give you any idea how much revenue this could bring to the university? Yeah, they projected that we could net about 170,000 in the first year. And so that gross, I would guess that'd be somewhere and I think Tom you said maybe you were a half million your first year. I would Correct. estimate we may be close to that. We do have Michigan and Ohio State on our schedule this year, which helps as well. And, uh, and, and we're, so we're anticipating that, again, not uh, to, to belittle $170,000. We certainly need it. It's all important. But it, I just want to make certain to make the point, it definitely was not a revenue-driven decision. It wasn't a no-brainer, hey, we're going to make a ton of money off this. We need it because of all the reasons we articulated earlier. It really was more about fan experience. And, and hopefully the revenue will help as well. But that wasn't the driver. 
And Tom, before we go, did you have maybe just one thing that you would pass along to any other university or school that's looking at starting alcohol sales? What what, what would be your number one thing to pass along? Uh, probably the biggest challenge uh, we went through, and again, 2017 was our, was our first year under Jeff Rahm. We were coming off four really tough years on the field, so you know our fan interest was probably at an all-time low, so... Fortunately, Coach Brom and his staff and, and the players uh, uh, immediately started winning, which uh, you know brought fans back, uh, and and probably trying to figure out the appropriate number of points of sale. And and you know, the one negative we had the first year was we had people wait in line too long at times because we really just weren't prepared for the interest and and the immediate increase in crowd size because of how well uh, the team did right off the bat. Uh, so just. You know, whatever research you can do and, and kind of plan for points of sale and, and controlling lines and make sure you don't have to wait too long is probably the one uh, piece of advice I'd offer. All right. Thank you, Tom. And I might add, Tom, that helped us a, a ton in, in our preparations because that was a, an indication that we received that the points of sale is so critical and we don't want to create a negative experience by having lines. And, and I know Jason really indicated that to us and we listened, so we appreciate that. We heard it more than once from Jason. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much. Thanks to all of the guests. That's the, all the time we have today for WFIU's Noon Edition. I'd like to thank Scott Dolson, Tom Schott, Mallory DeSalle, and Galen Clavio. Thank you all for being here on the show. Thank Thanks, guys. Thank, thank you very much, thank Barbara you. Brozier, for being on the Absolutely. show today and filling in for Sarah, along with Benta and Mike Pascash. I'm Joe Wren. This has been Noon Edition on WFIU. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU Public Radio. A podcast of this program and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville, fiber internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. And from the Herald Times, featuring coverage of local news, entertainment, and sports. In print at heraldtimesonline.com and on your mobile device. And from the Bloomington Health Foundation, partnering with local organizations and citizens to invest in programs that address our community's health needs. Bloomington Health Foundation, improving health and well-being takes a community. More at bloomhf.org.